0: Welcome to Vase, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, old friend, and man about town, Stephen James Buckley.
1: Hi, everyone. It's true, I am Stephen James Buckley, um, and we have a guest today. This this is quite intimidating because this guest actually has his own podcast and has been podcasting since the days of MySpace, which <laughs> is, is a long time. So we're you know we're very honoured. But we're also a bit intimidated to introduce filmmaker, podcaster, and former member of the OTO, Mr. Ken Eakins from Brighton. Hello, Ken.
0: Hiya, how you doing? Hi, Ken. So your podcast is uh, right where you're sitting now.
2: Mm-hmm. And w- when did you start that? Um, it's when I was. At, uh, it's weird. I've got a strange career, I suppose. i st- i started in journalism and then got to a certain point in journalism where they wouldn't hire me unless I had a degree, so I had to go to university. And so I suddenly had three years with shitloads of time to kill. Um, So I started making podcasts, and so that would have been around 2007, I think. So Sitting Now was 2007, and we did one before that called A Romanian Werewolf in Farnham. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent name. Uh, Yeah, But that that was sort of short-lived, but Sitting Now kind of stuck, I suppose.
0: So I suppose you must have one of the oldest and longest running occult podcasts that there is then
2: i think it is the longest running um i think so yeah because there was another one called out there radio uh w- which was uh raymond wiley uh joe mcfall and austin Gandhi, who is now bonnie i've forgotten her name now but uh, austin's now a she um it, but that was a great podcast and a bit of an influence where i think we interviewed them in the first episode actually yeah yeah <laughs> um, he did, yeah yeah, and uh, but yeah, and so there was that one. There was the disinfo cast, but that came after us. So I think we are probably the longest running one. But we had a huge gap <laughs> in between <laughs> the shows. So because we did other shows as well, and we kind of got sidetracked with a show called Coincidence Control Network, which ran for a long, ah, long time. But, that's uh, named
1: after the uh, the John C. Lilly thing, isn't it?
2: Uh, it was named by Joe uh, Matheny. So um, yeah, he uh, he probably got it from that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I, I really enjoy your podcast and it's something that we've we've actually talked about it on base before uh, your podcast and you've had some incredible guests over the years. Uh, you've had Lon Milo Duquette many times, it's Eric everyone, Davis, yeah. Mitch Horowitz, Crispin Glover, James Randi, uh, Julian Vane, uh, Peter Gray and of course Alan Greenfield. Shout out to Alan as, as always one of our favourites.
2: Oh yeah, he's one of my favourites. Yeah.
0: Um, and so... how how did you manage to convince these people to join you on your podcast? Was it connections that you had through um, the OTO or uh, what what was, how did you manage to sort of land such fantastic guests?
2: I just emailed them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking notes right now. (laughs) I think John Ronson, he was the hardest one to get, weirdly. I think we got him, how did we get him? Oh, it's because, yeah, it was a long story. I was doing a podcast like a feature for another podcast so there used to be this other podcast I've forgotten the name of it now where they'd have like essays almost like voice essays by different people and I was doing one on conspiracy theory and I interviewed David Ike and Alex Jones wow and um, <laughs> uh, I asked Alex Jones do you have John Ronson's uh, email address and he did and he just gave it to me And I was like okay that's professional Wow! That yeah. is, <laughs> and, uh, I, to be honest yeah. Ken I don't know how we're going
1: to top that story now <laughs> we, we, we've peaked. We've peaked too early. We can edit We're, that to the yeah. end. We'll edit it to the end. Really good story. About...
2: Podcast. That's really annoying. I should remember that because that was that was good. It was good fun. Um, I interviewed those two, and then yeah, he just gave me ronson's email address, and I emailed him. But generally, I just email people. Um, yeah. And then right. later on, um, as we got more professional, I suppose we sort of became more involved with publishers. So right. yeah. we right. get sent. Yeah. Um, they just send us books now. Uh, it was like the minute we started again, the tap turned back on and now we just get, I'd say like 20% of what we get is good, the <laughs> other 80% is kind of like woo-woo, kind of new age kind of stuff. Well, um, send
1: that our way then.
2: All right. <laughs> we'll, give you, we'll give you our address. We'll give you... We've we got don't, a load of books on crystal magic coming your way. <laughs> but uh if you're interested in that stuff, but yeah, no... um, but yeah, no. So it was just like, yeah. I guess like the more professional we, we became, the more we sort of became established with publishers, and because we tend to interview authors, um, and right. then they'd just connect us up, and it was a lot, it's a lot easier that way because you get the book early and you get you know, yeah several copies. So this this could you.
1: be a good way to get free books. What I'm oh, thinking. it is. It's and, great. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's, but I, I, be careful what you wish for. I mean, I've literally had to <laughs> part about twenty books up to Watkins. Uh, to get rid of them, just to get rid of them. I didn't even want money for them. I was like, just take them. <laughs> so, yes, I've got too many. My room's overflowing with books. So the first thing that I wanted to
0: ask you about, knowing that you are a Thelemite and a former member of the OTO, is something that we've skirted around previously on the podcast. And that is Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley. Crowley. Crowley.
2: Yeah, Crowley.
0: Crowley, like the bird.
2: <laughs> the yeah. Ameri- the Americans say Crowley, don't. Yeah, they, well,
0: this but... is why I get confused because half the podcasts I listen to they say it differently,
2: mm. and they will say it's. I think it's uh, Ozzy Osbourne's fault. Yeah, Mr. He Crowley. Mr. Crowley, Mr.
0: Crowley ah, yeah. <laughs> so, let's just start with an easy one. What are your thoughts on Aleister Crowley?
2: Wow, well, that's broad. Um, okay, <laughs> I, 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 he's super influential. Um, uh, I guess it. Uh, you have different thoughts depending on what angle you're looking at with him. I think if you look at him as a person, um, I'd say he wasn't particularly nice a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, he's you know, that can be a hard, you know, square to, uh, circle to square over. But, um, but yeah, but also at the same time, someone that actually did stuff. Like uh, you, you know, you read a lot of. I mean, even now, you read a lot of modern occultists who write a lot of theory um but didn't you know don't actually commit themselves in the way that crody did i mean crody kind of um one thing you can say is that he was very very dedicated to what he did you know he spent all of his money um which was a lot of money at the time um traveling the world Uh, he created a magical system which is almost unparalleled you could say um he you know, there's a reason we still talk about him to this day, you know, like, what, 50, 70 years or whatever after he died? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, he clearly had an influence and he clearly impressed upon the occult scene, that's what I'd say. But When
1: um, when you talk about his influence, it, it could be argued, couldn't it, that he actually has influence way beyond the occult in terms oh yeah. of just, like, pop culture. And mm-hmm. you hear about, I'm not sure how true it is, the story that it was him that initially gave Huxley mescaline and, you know, so he, he's kind of, he kind of had his finger in the pie, so to speak, of like the early kind of psychedelic scene, which then led to the 60s and all the 60s counterculture that came from that. And then, you know, from that, you've got like the Macy Conference stuff and the internet and it's like, did Crowley, was Crowley kind of from a distance partially responsible for creating <laughs> the internet? You know, this is, you know, not, I, I'm kind of being flippant there, but I think there is a pretty good argument to suggest that he was an incredibly influential figure, you know, in in so many more ways that people won't even realise.
0: And you've got um, Sergeant Pepper and uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. Obsessive.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, You had, um, who was the Bob Geldof's daughter? Um, Pixie. Pixie? The one that passed away. Peaches, Peaches? yeah. I mean, she joined the ATO just before... um, yeah, she had the OTA tattooed on her leg, didn't she? I think uh, wow. so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it reaches, it, especially music. There's definitely lots of uh you know, influence if you listen to like musicians like John Zorn, who's obviously massively influenced by Crowley and Mike Patton, people like that. Um, Secret Chiefs 3, I mean, the Secret Chiefs, the name, the name, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, but other stuff as well. I mean. Crowley was uh, also partially responsible for the reason we learned so much about meditation and, and yeah. yoga and, and this sort of thing, which are the high street things, you know, you can't really, you can't move from meditation, well, especially not in Brighton, but you can't move from mm-hmm. like meditation and yoga places these days. So, And, you know, Crowley definitely played a part in that coming to the, you know, proliferating in the UK as well. And so there's yeah, this huge, huge reach, you know, and... Um, also he was—he kind of—I always say this, and it makes people go. Huh? But he was kind of a Kardashian in a way. Like he—he's kind of a victim of his own um, love of scandal. That's the way I like to look at it. He—he he, he courted scandal. He—he um, he loved being in the press, all that kind of stuff. But um but now is sort of suffering at the hand in a way at the hand of his kind of notoriety. And I think that's really plagued him um, post, you know, post his well, actually during his life and after after death, I think.
0: Do you think that's diminished him or do you think it's actually made him more enduring?
2: I think it's probably made him more notorious and more mm. salacious almost for people to kind of, you know, look into him. So I think it, it kind of worked. But also, I think, I mean, it, it drives me mad. If you listen to podcasts podcast that refer to him like as a Satanist or, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. It's like he's got this sort of Satanist um, kind of uh, thing following him around, which isn't true <laughs> at all. Yeah. And so, uh, the minute I hear that, I always think, ah, this, these people haven't done any research whatsoever. <laughs> if I ever hear them say "Satanist" and "Alastair yeah. Crowley" in the same sentence, so. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy.
0: And what do you think? I mean, you, like you said, he died was at the end of forty seven. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think that has made him endure so long? When the many others have been forgotten, you know, because there, there was a lot of people around, you know, at the same time who who were doing you know, stuff that was. I mean, perhaps not as scandalous as what he was doing, but there there's a lot of people involved. What is it about uh, Crowley that you think has really lived on through the ages?
2: Well, I think he innovated. I think that's the other thing. Like, he created a new system. He didn't, um, you know, just, yeah, I guess, like, use old systems. He sort of synthesized existing systems into a new system. So there's that. There's also the fact that, I think, he was kind of um picked up, like you said, by the counterculture. And I think that's really what kind of yeah. you know, reimagined him. And but then also he he made this weirdly strange move where he his estate, his writing estate went to a guy called John Simmons, who wrote a book. I can't remember the name of the book now, um, but he wrote a biography of Crowley that just slated him. He hated him. You can just <laughs> tell. And like every time he writes I mean, he wrote um, him and Kenneth Grant released some books together, like uh, diaries of Crowley books and Every time he, in his forwards, it's always just him slating Crowley, basically. So he obviously hated him, but so why did Crowley give him, (laughs) but maybe that was a good move because, you know, he's, he made him more notorious and more (laughs) kind of, uh, this (laughs) like this boogeyman kind of thing. So it kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, um, interesting move that. I don't know if that's calculated or if it was just like no one else wanted to take on his estate at the time. I don't know.
0: Crowley was really prolific in his day, wasn't he?
2: Oh Yeah um I, I mean there was no one else doing what he was doing you know that that's the thing and you had the golden dawn um and you had maybe dion fortune is another person i'd say was probably you know as as involved as crowley but crowley really threw himself into it everything went into magic you know everything went into uh um travel as well and you know like uh going to other cultures and finding magic <laughs> where he could and synthesize all of that into his work and i think that's what really separates him from the, you know the, the his peers at least and probably possibly people that came before him a lot of people that came before him um so i think yeah i think first people get into him because they're like oh that's kind of salacious and then they go oh actually there's a real body of work here and a real um system here that works um whereas a lot of the others you can't say the same thing <laughs> At least, in my opinion, I'll, I'll probably get slated for saying that. But <laughs> go, going back to the the Kardashian comparison, yeah.
3: I,
1: I can see what you mean in terms of he he strikes me as someone who knew how to play the game, like the media game. Oh yeah, yeah. And so you know, if he was around nowadays, he would be someone who you know knew when to post things for outrage on social media, and but he found it hilarious
2: yeah. as well. That's the other thing. There's a there's a good story in um, I think there's a Kenneth Grant book called remembering alistair crowley and uh he talks i think it's in that one where he talks about it but uh, a, a sort of associate of crowley's who was with him in Cheffaloo, he, he he had like a kind of commune there called the abbey of Felima, um yeah. and um uh this uh, one of the women there with him wrote, wrote this uh, really bombastic kind of booklet about him afterwards that became quite uh, popular in london and uh spread around um you know spread everywhere and it really didn't paint him in you know, a good light at all in fact i think it, she basically accused him of murder um and uh in yeah and whenever people would come and visit him he'd pick it up and throw it at them and just in tears of laughter thinking it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen but um the, you know the article and you know i think he just loved it he loved any kind of uh, notoriety he could get hold of you know and um possibly because he wanted money <laughs> he was often after money especially in you know not early on but after you know later in life he was broke basically
1: yeah because he was a heroin addict wasn't he yeah he Before was prescribed heroin
2: and... because he had really bad asthma and back then one of the prescriptions for asthma was, was heroin and um, why not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah and probably cigarettes you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <be> good times <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah this might be where jimmy page's fandom came from
2: mm, possibly yeah, yeah
0: i mean a lot of what he's said has been misunderstood, but I don't think anything that he said has been quite as misunderstood as "Do what thou wilt."
2: Can you talk to that a little bit? So a lot of people think "Do what thou wilt" should be the hold of the law means "Do what you want." Do whatever the, the, the fuck the
1: you want. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. It's not the case. It, it literally just means doing your your will is is everything you should be doing um you know do what they will shall shall be the whole of the law and then the, there's actually an answer to that as well so there's uh if as thelemites if you greet each other one will say do what they will should be the whole of the law and the reply to that is uh, love is the law love under will um so will is everything it, it, it's kind of confirmed in the second in the second section you know and actually it says a lot i think a lot of people think that crowley was this like hateful character um but you know the two most important tenets of thelema are will and love <laughs> you know, i mean it's not like will and uh you know getting laid it's uh you know it's um <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's you know love and it, and um will is the most important thing and uh, and love is is right there next to it you know it's kind of uh yeah so it's it, you can see sort of see why the counterculture picked up on it because you know love man yeah you know, all that it stuff. yeah <laughs> yeah you talk about will
1: um that kind of definition of it being quite different to just whatever the hell you want mm-hmm. um It sounds almost similar to, correct me if I'm wrong, is it similar to the Joseph
2: Campbell idea of uh, follow your bliss? Similar. Uh, It's similar. it's like, it's finding what it is you're meant to, the way I interpret it, everyone interprets it wrong and I always get told off. (laughs) 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 Everyone gets told off for their interpretation. But my interpretation of it always is like finding what your kind of purpose is in the universe and and making that the central focus of what you do, essentially. You know, and, and that will bring you you know uh yeah spiritual it's, it's, enlightenment, so it's,
1: it, is, it is really similar to the the joseph campbell idea mm-hmm. i guess isn't it i think because yeah. which is i think uh i mean it's not always realistic for everyone it's a nice it's a i like that idea i think it's good but um i suppose it's it's one of them things isn't it where it's like a uh there's a degree of privilege involved i suppose yeah. as there is with everything because it's like not everyone gets the opportunity to do that
0: no, excuse me if if this is sort of an ignorant question, but in Thalima, is that what the idea of the religion is? Is that to find your will?
2: It depends if you call it a religion first of all. Um, right, okay. Uh it, it, to some it's religion, to some it's uh philosophy, I suppose. Um but it, it's the central tenet is is will is the most important. It, at least to me, it was the most important part of of Thulema. It was um Ways well, the most important part of volume. Um, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's nice to find out what one's purpose is, I suppose. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you, know?
1: you don't have to answer this one, but do you feel like you've found yours?
2: My true will? Not yet. No, no, not at all. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm constantly it's, looking. Yeah. It's um, an ongoing process. Yeah, hence the uh, you know, the multiple hats I seem to wear all the time. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... Um, it's yeah, it's uh, it's an. I, I'd say you never finish being a student. That's the one thing I would definitely say. I, I, I know yeah. people that have been in the OTO, you know, they're in the ninth degree or you know, or very very high up, or aren't even in the OTO and have been thelemites for a long time. I mean, you could say like Jake Stratton Kent, rest in peace. Um, he was a thelemite for a long time, a uh, long time before even the OTO properly existed in the UK. So um, he's, uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> you know, but he would have said he was a student, you know, um, still. So <laughs> I don't think you ever really, you know, unless if people that say they have found, you know, the, I, I never tend to believe them. You know.
1: And what, what is the sort of, um, is there a particular, this could be a very long question actually, but is there a particular <laughs> means of finding your will that is, you know, forgive my ignorance, but is there like a way in which you're taught that throughout the, 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 the kind of processes of the to find the um, will is it just something that comes to you one day
2: no i think it is i mean the way i've started to look at it is it's through magical practice you know so you, right okay you um you know it it will make itself known to you i think that's the way i, I mean one of the main you know, goals of magic i suppose is is finding um conversation with your holy guardian angel that's a big big part of it as well which again i, uh, I haven't done yet either <laughs> um i kind of get sidetracked with magic i always like, I go, go oh I, I have adhd so i always like getting distracted by like shiny shiny other things in magic <laughs> and sort of end up kind of uh checking out other stuff but um yeah that's a major part of it uh, but uh, uh, yeah have you seen the film there's a i know you guys are into films there's a film called a dark song
3: no we've been it recommended no. it a yeah. few oh, times. Right
2: yeah uh if you want to see some some holy guardian angel action watch that film that's all i'll say <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool is it's the Lima a
0: magical system in itself
2: um it's more of a practice and a belief i don't know if i'd say it was a magical system I suppose it is a philemic magic. Yeah, I suppose you would call it a system. But I guess that um, within Philema, there are systems, if that makes sense. So there's an AA system. Um, to a degree, there's an OTO system. Um, there's other you know, forms of Philema as well. There's the Typhonian tradition. There's, um, uh, yeah, so there's, there's more like kind of schools within the overall umbrella of Philema, is the way I'd say it, um, say it. But again, I'm probably going to get like, Roasted by uh, by <laughs> thalamite. you probably get some of that Ken guy. You didn't learn a thing. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
0: Could you talk a little bit about your time in the OTO and what it was like? Because that's something that I've always really wondered about because I've, I've never been a part of a magical organisation. I mean, my magical practice is still quite new and I'm still finding my way. So what attracted you to join the OTO and what did you like and dislike about it whilst you were there?
2: Um, I, I've got, everyone has a weird story when it comes to how they kind of got interested in it. For me, I had a really bizarre dream um, where I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I, I kept hearing the word I was over and over and over again. And wow. I was like, oh, the, God knows what that, I didn't, I've didn't. i never heard the word in my life at the time. And so then this I read was before Robert you Anton knew Wilson. about
0: Crowley? Huh? So was this before you knew about Crowley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um,
2: and then um, I, had a, uh, I read a Robert Anton Wilson book, and he talks about it. And I was like, ah, there we go, that's I was, there we go and um so yeah and then i realized because i was living in guildford at the time um i didn't know anyone else that was into this stuff so i thought oh, well maybe i should look at joining the fraternity i suppose and see you know and um i'll get to meet other people that are into it and um yeah so i went for a a, a meeting with the london oto MF lodge and yeah and uh joined but i think the um the thing with the oto is it's not i think a lot of people think it's like a teaching group and i think some people wished it was more of a teaching group than it is it's it's not really it's like a initiation machine i suppose in some ways so there's lots of initiation you do have you have like regional groups i suppose um and there can be teaching within that um but it yeah, it's it's not really a teaching. I think that was the thing that threw me at first. I was like, oh, I thought it was bit, there'd be like a curriculum to it, but there isn't really. There sort of is and there isn't. There's a very loose curriculum. Let's just say, like, I've got to be careful what I say. I don't want to give too much no. <laughs> inside stuff away because I still do respect a lot of the system. Um, of course. Yeah, so the thing that's crazy, though, is I remember when I had my Minerva initiation, um, was going the tra- getting the train back, weirdly. <laughs> it was the weirdest experience. Like, I sat on this train... The sort of looking at all these people that had just been to like the theater or whatever or to, you know, just out in town for the day. And I was thinking, God, this, what I just did was so different to what I, really, I just knew. It was like <laughs> really different to what everyone else in the train had done. And I just thought, God, that was really intense. Cause if they are done well, the initiations in the ATO are incredibly powerful and very, very, I, f- I think they were anyway, I found them very powerful and very, um, I, I was very lucky with all the degrees I did that, um, the people, you know, involved in them were were all very dedicated and very good at what they did so so on that side of things the initiation side of things i thought that was fantastic and then Mm. a lot of the people i met you know of some of my best friends now you know and um so the bonds you make with the uh, men and women involved with the oto is uh can be very powerful um and you know very very strong friendships formed and uh, you know literally i count them among like you yeah, know it's a fraternity they become brothers and sisters and it's kind of that's kind of true to a degree you know you you sort of become like a little family so <laughs> yeah. uh, um so there's that side of things um and yeah i mean <clears throat> and a lot of partying <laughs> yeah, lots of that as well so that side of things is all really good um but one of the downsides of the ATO <clears throat> is and this is, you know, one of the key reasons I ended up leaving was that you kind of have to accept everyone that joins as your brother and sister, right. <laughs> and involving people that you wouldn't necessarily um, normally want to be associated with in, outside of the ATO. And Although that can be quite cool, because sometimes you meet people that you wouldn't necessarily think you'd like, but they actually turn out to be great people. And you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's great. Now, you know, I've, I've met this person. That's fantastic. But unfortunately uh <laughs> some that's not always the case and i found a lot of the people quite hard to deal with that's what, um uh, especially later on in my uh, membership but uh yeah so i ended up leaving mainly because of that um uh and, it was a, and also where there was and also there was a local scandal that happened that really caused the uh caused me to leave but um i won't go into that but um yeah no it was yeah, so there is a downside to it. And I think one of the main issues that they have is it's kind of there's two things really. It's duty of care. It's like trying to figure out as a group, are they responsible for these members? You know, if you were a part of an organization and someone in your organization caused problems,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: it, it's kind of the upper management that are meant to deal with those problems. Um, and it's kind of their duty of care um, to sort of make sure that people within that organisation don't come under any harm or are under you know aren't mentally hurt or whatever but in the OTO, it's a little bit different because it's kind of it's argued as to whether that's the responsibility of their upper degrees and it, it, there's a lot of politics in there basically uh, so that was one reason and then the second reason was yeah it's just some they were very loose with their initiation process or their membership process I should say whereas you know and it's kind of not their fault it, it, one of the rules of the OTO is that every man um, and woman has the right to join the OTO as long as they're of good report. And that's the really interesting part of mm. that, that seems to get that's that second bit that seems to often get... Um, it's overlooked let's put it that way sometimes but i'm not saying that's the case all the time but there were a few people that got through that i just thought wow (laughs) how the hell did you get in um but yeah where's your good uh,
0: report come from
2: (laughs) yeah yeah, it's sort of after a while it becomes just emotionally draining having to deal with these sort of people so yeah for me it was um a lot of people a lot of my friends left around that time as well so it was kind of uh, it just felt like it came to a natural end for me um at that point uh, i have you know considered now and then rejoining but um yeah we'll see but how I've long were you a member for uh that's a good question actually 10 years i think right okay ten yeah. Years? yeah good old was... chunk of time and going back to the will thing
1: just something that's bothered me what what happens if your will is to be like an absolute bastard to everyone
0: <laughs> are you asking for a friend there
1: <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine if, 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 I suppose anything's open to interpretation, isn't it? And th- if the wrong person joins any group, they could use that as a way to, as an excuse to, oh, it, they have, yeah, 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 sh- shoot up a school or whatever. You know, is there, is there anything sort of in the way of that, or is it just, I suppose it's like anything else, isn't it, really?
2: Yeah, I think I've heard it's been used as an excuse before. I think, it didn't, um, there was that guy in America, um, Augustus Solemn Victus, um, very famous OTO member in America that, um, uh was a, he went out into the desert, slaughtered a goat, um, uh, and then wrote to all the heads of the ATO saying he is the new Crowley, blah, blah, blah. And then joined the libertarian party. And then, um, then caused, was one of the main three people that caused Charlottesville. Um, wow, <laughs> yeah. Man. So there's some, uh, yeah. dark characters. And then he would often use uh, it when he was still espousing Thalemic stuff, he, he would use will as a, as a kind of excuse. But, um, to any might, I think we'd, you would immediately say, "Well, no, that's bullshit." <laughs> but obviously, yeah, to an yeah. outsider, then it probably doesn't look so great. And you
0: can see th- through, um, you know, Christian and Abrahamic religions, God's will being used in the same way, or not mm-hmm. in the same way, but in a way that is damaging to other people.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, you can look at most religions have, have uh, caused atrocities because it was "quote unquote" God's will. You know, it's. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's what separates um, occultists, I suppose, and thelemites, especially, from that kind of thing. It's uh, whereas you know mainstream religion is you're doing God's will, whereas uh, you know, in in occult practices you tend to be doing your own will, which is uh, I think quite a powerful thing.
0: OTOB is still a thelemite. what's your magical practice like now
2: um sporadic actually well not sporadic <laughs> that's the wrong word um uh kind of experimental that's word i'd use right now um i still have i still actually have a very standardized daily practice i suppose um that would still be very oto centric in terms of the daily rituals i do but i'm really um excited, but you can probably tell with the show because mm. the sort of people we're interviewing. Um I'm sort of become really excited with this kind of new wave of magic that's coming out at the moment. Um uh like you know Scarlet Imprint and um uh yeah. Theon and Anathema and all these kind of more left hand path and more kind of um like non philemic magic coming out. Because I, I find the history of it all very, very interesting. Um I've become really interested in like ancient magic now like really ancient kind of middle eastern magic there's a fantastic youtube channel that got me really into that um, called mysterious middle east and that guy just puts out some absolutely incredible stuff <laughs> um i recommend anyone anyone that's interested in um especially hb lovecraft if you're interested in lovecraft that's a that's oh, a channel to go to and
0: going back a little bit so for our listeners and for me as well um when you, you talk about the left hand path could you tell us what you're talking about
2: all right. so the left hand path tends to mean, well, it tends to mean it's if you again, if you listen to our show, you'll see, see us grappling with this question all the time. Um, it's my interpretation of it is it's the kind of darker side of magic, it's the um, uh, it's but not doesn't necessarily mean it's the evil side of magic, it just means you're dealing with darker sides of things. Like, um, uh, for example, Kenneth Grant is a great example of this, he um talks a lot about this thing called the cliff off which is the kind of reverse of the tree of life uh i think a lot of people think that's going to be evil bad stuff down there but it isn't it's a well it can be but um it's it's, not necessarily its intention but so it's dealing with like it's like almost like the Jungian shadow self it's the dealing with dreams it's dealing with um you know darker um subject matter essentially wow Uh, uh, yeah
1: because the the uh isn't the idea with that that that's kind of almost where creativity comes from as well? The you know, that that kind of shadow side, if you like.
2: Um, I mean, my co host, Mark, would be the one to talk to you about that. He's he's uh, he's the big Jungian. Right. Um, but yeah, my understanding yeah. is that you kind of you know, you, um, you face your sort of shadow self to kind of um, uh, unlock. Uh, Well, I suppose with some things it's like unlocking parts of your personality, but also uh, unlocking creative parts of your personality by, by facing kind of a darker side, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. This is something that I've been instinctively drawn to a lot recently. Mm -hmm. i think part of it is we talked about this with jennifer lane but part of it is the time of year as well um you know where i think when there is more darkness you do become more introspective and perhaps Mm -hmm. look on that side of it but i found with this being the first year that i've been doing a magical practice that that long periods in the dark the actual physical darkness has had an effect on me you know that's made me think more in that way you know without having yet got into the left hand path or uh, any of the shadow work it's something that i'm feeling kind of drawn to do you know where you could recommend someone like me who's still very new to all this where they could start with something like that
2: Hmm. you've got to be careful with the left hand path stuff because some of the one of the downsides of the left hand path is um a lot of the groups that form around it go wrong <laughs> <way> I think, <laughs> For obvious reasons. Um, yeah i can think of, I, i'm not going to name check any particular groups but there's there's one in particular i can think of that started off as a fairly um you know like a post philema kind of um, uh, group that's that was that went very uh very dark very very dark <laughs> um and not in a good way um but yeah i i mean i always say read kenneth grant so the first i mean the great couple of books to read are um, The Magical Revival and uh, Alistair Crowley and the Hidden God. I think they're both very good books. They're good primers on the left-hand path, I think. And actually, they've, to some, uh, a lot of Felomites don't like Kenneth Grant because of the way he twisted Philema off in his own direction. Um, whereas actually, I'm finding that particularly exciting at the moment. There. But um, I'm just trying to think of other, other left-hand path starter books. Hmm. I don't know, actually. That's a good point. I just sort of found it through, you just sort of find it through reading magic. I, I can't think of any yeah. particular, I'm sure that someone's screaming at their speaker right now. <laughs> like, oh, take, yeah. this. I'll probably like kick myself the minute this, this interview ends. Uh, I'm, I'll, yeah. uh, I'm sure I'll uh, kick myself and wish I Do you I could... think that
0: generally the left-hand path stuff is more advanced magic and that's Not perhaps why there aren't any starter books or, or is it something that people can jump into when they're newer?
2: No, yeah, I think so. I think I wouldn't say it's necessarily. um, I think often it helps to have uh, had a more traditional understanding of magic. It it depends on the text, actually. I think if if you've, um, it helps to have gone through the more, you know, standard magic, for use of a better word, (laughs) because it's referred back to a lot. And a lot of um, the left hand path stuff I find is a kind of mirror of that stuff. So if you already know what that stuff is, when you look into the mirror side of it, it makes a lot more sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So
0: could I ask, I know that you've had some chaos magicians on your show. What are your thoughts on chaos magic? That's how I got into magic was through reading Phil Hine and now Adam Wachter, uh, Julian Vane, those kind of people. What's your thoughts on that? Because I know that that's a very different sort of way through than perhaps Felima or the oto
2: um i've never really been a fan if i'm honest uh, i find it interesting which is why we've had people on yeah um but i i find i'd like my magic to be attached to something to kind of lineage almost if that makes sense so i think it kind of it helps me personally i know a lot of people do like chaos magic um uh but and also <laughs> i know a group of well we used to know a group of chaos magicians in Brighton and uh, they were just dicks kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it kind really... of tracked that kind of crowd
0: yeah it was like yeah. oh god
2: um, but no I know I mean like Julian Vane's lovely I think he's a great guy um, Andreas Vitimus uh, of the time um, we had him on he was great yeah so I mean there's some good people I mean the people that I've you know, except for that group in Brighton have all been you know fairly good and they all seem very dedicated but I don't know this idea that in my mind anyway i'm probably getting it completely wrong but i've always you know the argument i always hear is that you know um someone in mr spock for example is is has less kind of gravity at least to me anyway than you know going back through this kind of history of uh you know uh god forms and deities and things that kind of come from you know there's like a real dark deep history with uh with with most magic whereas chaos magic feels like um it's it's that's not there you're just kind of creating that for yourself almost which is probably quite cool in a way it's kind of open source magic isn't it that's kind of yeah uh,
0: i think I, it kind of i think it does depend on the kind of person you are in, in a way as well because you know, if you take someone you know, a like very very famous chaos magician like grant morrison You couldn't really imagine him getting on in a magical fraternity or anything like that. You know, he created his own mythology completely from scratch. And when I've taken some of Julian Vane, I've taken a course with Julian Vane and I've got some of his books, he is, I mean, he's very into the ceremony and that kind of thing as well, which I find quite interesting.
2: One of the other things, because it's kind of, it tends to be quite disparate, doesn't it? uh, I think there is, there's a group what they call the I. IoT, I, I, which one is it? IoT is that them?
0: Yeah, the Illuminati yeah. antennas is it? I get mixed it? up so many yeah.
2: people abbreviation. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think one of the things that makes the OTO very good as a in a good, you know, one of the positives I should say of the OTO is that it's it's hands on. When you do an initiation, you're in a room with a bunch of people that have already done that initiation, you know. So and that's that's the thing that kind of binds you. You're putting yourself. You're putting your kind of fate into the hand of strange into the hands of strangers, you're kind of, you know, technically it's quite a dangerous thing to do almost. You know, it feels, especially the first time you do it, it feels initiation feels dangerous. And mm-hmm. um it feels kind of but then afterwards when you've been through it, you're you're faced with a room full of people that have also been through that. And so that kind of links you together. Whereas it feels like with chaos magic, because it's quite open source, like we were saying before, that those rituals aren't necessarily going to be the same each time you know there's not a standardized set of, of um, practices or initiations so I wonder if that sort of fraternal edge or that kind of bond that other you know you know um, groups have is missing from that I think that might be one of the reasons as well that I haven't really engaged with it and perhaps yeah I mean I think it's it's I was just going
1: to say I think it's sort of it's really just down to taste isn't it I mean like it, as someone who doesn't have a strict magic practice, but having read about various types and and, and you know listened to podcasts and stuff, my understanding of it is it's almost like a, a very much like an art form, and you're just picking your art medium. Yeah, you're just picking whether you want to use you know chalk or paint. I, I literally said this on last week's podcast as well, but that's anyway, a good point. I'm just repeating it. To, I think it's my one good point about magic. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like it, it, it's kind of if you think about it in terms of like it's what kind of gets your imagination going sometimes or what makes you feel like um you know p- puts you in that almost creative space and for some people that's far easier to achieve when you don't feel like you're following a set of rules or you have it someone watching over you whereas for other people they feel perhaps that they're more at home with their being like you say a bit more of a lineage or you know, sort of a bit more of a history because it makes them feel a bit more like in awe of it. Therefore in more of a a space where that creative brain can work and things can start to happen.
0: I I wonder as well, if for some of the reasons that chaos magic is perceived to have kind of burnt itself out a little bit, you know, like maybe perhaps by getting rid of the lineage in the past, they sort of denied themselves a future a little bit. I'm, I actually, I really like uh, stuff like Adam Wachter, um, who I think is kind of basically a chaos magician, but he's gone back to much more ancient forms of magic. It's a lot more shamanic and that kind of thing, and that really appeals to me.
2: Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot of intrigue in older stuff at the moment. I mean, there's one thing I've noticed is that there's a huge rise in traditional witchcraft. We've had a couple of people on actually... Um, that kind of come under that banner um, rather than just being Wiccans or you know, uh, they it's like their own version. We had a guy on, um, what's his name? Brandon Weston, I think his name was. He was uh, Ozark based magic, you know, yeah. so it's like regional magic, and that sort of stuff's really interesting because you know, uh, I think my co host wasn't convinced before he read that book that like, what he was going to get and actually got a lot from that book. You know, there was a lot of really interesting stuff and a lot of crossover. Cause this guy doesn't really come from a Polemic background or a golden dawn background but yet some of those uh practices still you know crossed over and that that kind of stuff's really interesting i think
0: yeah aidan worked also um i mean I, I could talk about him at length but i won't tonight but he he's also is focuses on that connection to in a way sort of where you are and, and what's around you and it's almost like going back to nature and it, it does go into witchcraft a little bit as well but it's something that I'm quite interested in it you know, because I really like the feel of the North of England in terms of magic, you know, Yorkshire and Lancashire and those sort of places where me and Buckley go for long walks. And I find quite connected to that place as well. And a lot of my practice is um, at the moment focusing on connecting with things like trees and so on, which is probably a bit more witchcraft than it is the classical sort of Western magical tradition.
2: Yeah, it sounds more Wiccan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think think it's a good, it's kind of cool. I think I like the, um, there's definitely a move towards being more experimental. I think, um, I can't speak for official statistics, but I think a lot of these groups, their memberships are dwindling because people are starting to, you know, I guess do what I've just been doing, which is kind of like start to look around a bit more and sort of build their own systems a little bit more and, uh, you know take a bit from here a bit from there and you know see see what happens <laughs> kind of thing yeah um one of one of the problems i had with the ato as well is it, it's um so i'm starting to sound like alan greenfield now aren't i just going on, <laughs> going back to the ato the whole time no but one of the problems i had with it was um it it, it has it's going through a bit of an identity at least when i was in it, it it there was a real identity crisis with it as well it's like is it a teaching magical order is it a alistair crowley fan club because it certainly felt like that a lot to me um And should it be, you know, growing? One of the problems with having a kind of enigmatic kind of character at the top of something like that is that their word becomes kind of the (laughs) law a little Mm. bit. And anyone that kind of dares to question it um, is immediately like, you know, scorned or, um, you know, uh, not scorned, but, you know. Argued against by a, a room full of people that already um, enjoy Crowley a lot. <laughs> um, that's me putting it nicely, but yeah, uh, yeah. So it's kind of I, I like this kind of more experimental um, side of things, where you know, and I think that's probably why there's a massive resurgence in interest in Kenneth Grant at the moment um, because he really does take that kind of Crowley system and do some crazy stuff with it. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: Um, something we wondered that you, you're you probably a, a better judge of than we are is um, about occulture. Can we call it that? Occult culture? What's your opinion on modern occulture? The culture of the occult? I'm definitely
2: in the minority with my peers where I actually think it's great. I think it's, uh, I, lo- I actually really like the kind of digital occultism um, because I think, yeah, for, I mean, I, know, I really wish that OTO and places like that would embrace it a little bit more (laughs) because you know i'm sure when you know crowley was about there were technologies he was using to transmit his ideas that were probably outrageous to you know people at the time or you know i just I, i i think it's if anything I mean there's definitely been a boom in occultism recently if you go to places like Watkins the amount of new books coming out it's insane it's it's costing me a fortune <laughs> uh, the ones I can't get for free uh, are costing me a fortune <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare but yeah no it's um it's amazing
1: yeah the te- the technology thing is a big deal I mean that's all it's just one of them things isn't it where people are quick to dismiss new technology and they don't realize that what they've taken for granted the whole time is a technology and like magic and technology have always gone hand in hand.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: It is is a technology almost, you know, and so sort of the idea of, um, you know, kind of technomancy and the idea of having like apps to draw sigils and sigils Mm. and stuff like that. Like it's, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's like, I, I can see why it's not for everyone, but I do kind of quite like that idea yeah i do
2: um could ai be doing uh, rituals for us in the future who knows
1: yeah there was well, there was that bit on Penny Royal where he was on about like getting ai to like do like to t- to almost like c- keep repeating a ritual over well, and over uh, again
2: the bbc did a series i think i i sent it to you didn't i an hp lovecraft series
1: yes in, yeah it was fantastic i'll listen yeah to all it's great it isn't absolutely
2: it i link it. to that yeah. in the show notes in that there's yeah. um there's a number station that's constantly saying the word Babylon over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah, and yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of this I thought oh, that's a really cool idea, this idea of like this kind of like ongoing chant almost being like <laughs> splurged out by a computer. It's great. I thought that was a cool idea. I I'm 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 all down for all of it really. I think it's cool. I mean, there's some unfortunately the <laughs> downside with technology is that Um, There are a lot of gatekeepers now of certain things. So there's definitely a clash between the old and the new. And there's definitely a group of lots of people actually online that um, feel that they kind of hold some kind of ownership over it all. Whereas I tend to have a much more fluid approach to it, I suppose. Where I I think that, you know, anyone can bring something interesting to the table and you should probably, you know, give everyone their, you know, their chance. Um,
1: It's how things move on, isn't it? When you get young blood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, looking at it from like a creative point of view, it's like you can't stay stuck in doing the same thing over and over again. Like the world changes, things become less relevant and therefore less powerful, you know, and things have got to move on. And it's like, if you think about any kind of art form, uh, it's, you know, imagine if cinema hadn't embraced new oh, yeah. technology or new ideas can't all be or remote. if music hadn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's a great example, yeah. you know, it's it's...
0: Yeah. I think one thing that's difficult, particularly with social media in the culture is everyone's because of the nature of Twitter and Facebook and what have you everyone's opinion seems to be given equal weighting which is a problem I know in everything it's not just the occult but you know for example you have people who've been doing it for decades and decades you know like Phil Hine for example I really enjoy his Twitter feed but there's other people who perhaps have no real experience and so on who are just shouting more loudly into the void, but whose voices are heard more because of that. And I suppose it's difficult now to separate out the people that can actually teach you something and the people who are just bullshitting, really.
2: Or good marketers. Exactly. Yeah, or good looking. Yeah, I mean, that that happens a lot. I mean, um, yeah, definitely. There's a really good such a quote I can never remember, but uh, Robert Anton Wilson used to use it a lot, which is something about like the loudest person in the room's the one that always gets listened to the most. I, I can't um someone will know what it is, but I love that quote and I can never remember it properly. It's really frustrating. But it's definitely true that um there's a lot of uh yeah, I mean and uh one of the good sides about social media, I suppose, is that people that didn't necessarily have the means or the voice to kind of um, you know, voice their ideas do now have that but then there's also a lot of people that you really don't want to hear also (laughs) also have that that same power yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think it's probably
0: an indication of my mood today why i went immediately to the negative on that rather than the other side which is obviously like you're saying that a lot of people who perhaps couldn't have got their voice out before now do and Mm -hmm. that's a really positive thing and i think the whole idea of being able to share information so freely now is really really good there's there's more ways for people to get information on the occult than there ever has been before it's
2: crazy and then to be able to like spread ideas as well i mean just think of youtube it's crazy you know with your phone you could probably start an entire career as like an an occult specialist or something online you know making videos um not hinting towards my youtube channel but you can you know uh, it's insane like technology these days and the ability to express yourself is incredible i think it's um and i think that should be embraced by the occult not um not kind of Shied away from it. Mean, you go to certain certain corners of the internet full of occultists, and it's just, it's like you can blow the cobwebs off it. It's you know, but there's some interesting stuff there. But it's it's so close-minded to um to you know that kind of thing, and it, it it's sort of depressing, really. I mean, I mean, even this kind of TikTok thing, there's a huge occult community on TikTok now, and it's like well, just deal with it. It's it's there. <laughs> so yeah, you should embrace it. Not you know, that's another way of spreading. This stuff to people, you know. It's uh
0: It's just like you were saying about the OTO, you know. I mean, the thing is that on social media, really anyone can be a member. They don't even need the good report. But in anything like this, you you're always gonna have some bad actors. But like you're saying, if you embrace it, there's so much good out there at the moment, you know. Um it's interesting to have this kind of open commentary, which perhaps we have never had in history you know you've got things like i mean you've got social media you've got self-publishing you've got reality tv like hell yeah you've got um conventions meetups podcasts all this stuff constantly going on um you know and there's so many ways to get involved there's so many avenues that you can go down now there's got to be that's got to be a positive thing
2: yeah and then and you've also got access to stuff i mean occult books aren't cheap especially old occult books like um i was looking at one the other day I think I'd missed when it was on the shelf for like £20 back in the day. And I tried to buy it the other day and it was £480 or something like that. And (sighs) a paperback book, um, you know, like (laughs) it's insane. So the idea that, you know, there are places on the internet you can go (laughs) and and find said book um, for free, you know, and you can access that knowledge. And that's cool. I'm sure the author of that book, he's dead now, but I'm sure the author of that book would rather people were reading his work than not reading his work you know and although i am um you know a fan of having a physical book a physical thing if the idea that i can if i can't get that i can still get to the information to me that's mind-blowing and great you know that's uh, you know it it means that you can cross reference against good material easily (laughs) Um, uh you know uh, and some great conversations can happen based on that but also some boring arguments can happen (laughs) from that which is what tends to happen after like the fifth comment on anything ever on the internet, you know, it always devolves into an argument, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and do you think, I know it, it's sort of the, I think it's probably an acknowledged problem at the moment that the freedom of the discourse has allowed a sort of toxic, either right wing or other extreme interpretation of occult teachings to bloom and grow a bit. And how do you think, we can deal with that now yeah how, how do we stop it from polluting the minds of people who perhaps aren't thinking about it critically or are more easily influenced and how do you think that we can make the culture calling it that do bunny ears um a more positive place
2: um well, i guess that's the that's one of the, that's one of the big questions at the moment Is it? it's mm. uh i guess it's like You've got certain people that think that if you read a book, I mean, I think you were one of you were talking about reading um, Rune Soup Guy's book, uh, Gordon. Yeah, White.
0: Gordon. I, I actually, you know what? I I did enjoy Pieces of Eight. Um, I, I've, I've been enjoying some of his other stuff less, but it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because I do, I, I enjoyed that book, knowing full well that I don't agree with what he's been saying over the last couple of years.
2: Mm-hmm. And I, I think. One of the, it depends if there's some people that are more reactionary to it than others. I'm trying to word this right. Um, I'm not one that believes that if you read something written by a right-wing person, if it's not, if the material is not right-wing, I don't think that it's, you know, the right wing's gonna jump out of the book and, and, and convert me. Do you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? It's yeah, a, yeah. whereas there are people online that think that, you know, they think it should all be burnt to the ground and blah 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 because this person did the I think I think it's, it comes down to intelligence a lot of the time, doesn't it? If you feel, oh hang on a minute, this book's saying some things I don't agree with, don't read the book. You know, that's <laughs> at the end of the day, that's kind of my take on it. I I'm, I'm maybe I'm older and grumpier these days or something, but I've never. I've read books where there's been clearly a right wing message in it, and um, but I've sort of just skipped past that to find the the, the non right wing stuff, I suppose, in in the book, or I've just put the book down. You know, it's like really, I, I think it's. I think you become converted to that stuff through a big group of things. I don't think one particular thing um, causes it. I don't think reading an occult book will turn you right wing. I think that imp- impulse is already there. And I think it's a collection of things. Um, I, I so, think it's, I yeah, think it's yeah.
0: essential to read stuff that you don't agree with, to be yeah. honest.
2: Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's reality tunnels, isn't it? It's just like occupying a different reality tunnel for a while and seeing how it is. Because I think one of the big problems is, especially at the moment, we're in this phase with politics um, where you have two extremes kind of you have an extreme right extreme like the kind of extreme progressivism or you can't even really quit right and left anymore it's more like alt-right and progressivism isn't it these days so but the problem is neither of them really listen to each other and neither of them read the opinions or consider the opinions of each other so you end up with this like uh yeah you just end up that's just the road to chaos in my opinion you know you have to kind of you can't start a dialogue with somebody if you don't know, if you refuse to listen to their kind of, you know, their their, their reasoning and opinions. And that's kind of, I don't know, that's just my take on it. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, th- I think
0: that that sort of black and white thinking is is damaging uh, because you don't see any nuance. Yeah,
2: there's, there's shades of grey in everything. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's really important to remember. And I don't know, I mean, I think that's the same with the occult. You know, it's the same with any, any kind of movement or any kind of art form or anything. You've kind of, kind of, I think you sh- you shouldn't necessarily push yourself into either corner. You should probably read it all and p- create your own opinion. And you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> know. that's
1: a very that's a very Robert Anton Wilson approach. Yeah. I think yeah. isn't
2: it? But
0: I, I do think as well that it's important to speak out about the things you don't believe in. Oh either yeah. If that, even if that's just your current opinion, which may change in the future, I think that it's important to air things like that as well. You know, like I mean, I enjoyed Pieces of Eight, but I've been reading the Rune Soup blog uh, over the last year and it's been appalling. <laughs> what oh, yeah, there? totally,
2: yeah. I mean, well, um, I keep getting his name now, Gordon, that's it. Isn't it? Uh, I mean, I don't know the guy. I can't really speak to him. I've I've, I've seen other people on Twitter um, posting stuff about him and what I've read I've not been particularly impressed by, you know, uh, stuff outside of his written work. But I've read Starships, I think it's called by him. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was a really good book. Yeah, I'm reading it at sort of, the moment. Yeah, I think it's a really good book. And um, I, again, the right wing didn't jump out of the book and <laughs> convert me. Do you know what I mean? When I read that book. Uh, um, yeah, there's a really famous case of a guy called James Wasserman, who's a very well-known, very well-regarded Thelemic author who suddenly became incredibly pro-Trump and very alt-right and uh, um, was involved with that guy I was talking about earlier, the Augustus Sol um, oh, yeah. um I think Marco Visconti wrote, writes quite good art, a good article about him and one of his um essays on his website um it does quite a good job of it actually um because he he some of the stuff he was spewing really i mean i've got loads of his books and i was just like oh god <laughs> it's one of those cases but i still like those books i just it's um the example i always give i always call it the um uh, kinsky conundrum it's just like um i love the films of werner herzog I love, in particular, uh, Fitzcarraldo, A Guru, Wrath of God, that stars Klaus Kinski. It turned out a few years ago, Klaus Kinski was um, abusing his children, um, you know, when they are very young. Uh, Natasha Kinski was actually the sister that came out and uh, the other Kinski that came out and mm. with the whole story. Now, I stu- those films, does it alter the way I look at those films? Uh, you no, know, it's it's a real conundrum, because I love those films a lot. They're a huge influence on me as a filmmaker. And... Um, but now i know <laughs> the, yeah. the, the lead actor in them was this awful scumbag and oh. uh, but no I, I still love those films it, it's like but i just have to you know i guess you just have to bear that in mind it's like, like Roland
0: Polanski, plansky things. isn't
2: it yeah exactly it's, yeah it's, i mean, the um, night gate is one of my favorite films and uh, and you've got a, you've got a sort of
1: um, i think sometimes as uh, when you're a bit older you're able to kind of distance yourself from the creator mm-hmm. of that art a bit more because you're not searching for an identity yeah, as the, you are when you yeah you're not sort of like right this is something that I like this is me my entire thing you're able to take it in with a bit of distance like i uh, I recently did like an o- listen to an audiobook um and I really enjoyed it was in two volumes one and two volume one I really enjoyed and um I so I started volume two and volume two had some real like, uh, what should we call it? Like red flags in terms of the sort of language he was using about like New World Order and stuff like that. And the way he talks about things like Project Bluebeam. And I was like, okay, he's talking about Jewish people. This is it. Uh, And I looked up the guy and sort of no one I followed on Twitter on kind of weird conspiracy occult slash ufo twitter followed him and i thought oh hey up here we go like he's gonna be and so i've looked a bit more into him and it turns out this guy's like got some uh really some ideas that i really don't agree with but i I did enjoy the first part of the book until he started uh you know launching into a particular not not launching into but you know started with the with the dog whistles oh yeah
2: it's a minefield if you look at i mean one of the reasons we're starting the City now YouTube channel up with a vengeance uh, this year is because if you type in like a cult into YouTube, like ninety percent of what you see is is it, it, they slip a uh, conspiracy into it. like it starts off like you think, "Oh, this will be interesting. it's about Jack Parsons and you find, was Jack Parsons uh, a Satanist? blah blah, blah. oh mm-hmm. here we go and like you know did did he predict the new world order?" and it's just like, oh for God's sake, it, it slips in everywhere this fucking conspiracy stuff it, it all happened we did a whole show on this me and Joe Matheny um, sitting now where we we um, we um started to look at like when did conspiracy theorists get dark because they didn't yeah. used to be it used to be fun in the 90s like for example when I got really into yeah. them like it, it was it was a fun subculture it wasn't this like dark I mean there was there were obviously some right-wing uh, characters there but in yeah. general you know, because of the things like the X-Files coming out and stuff like that there was this massive like subculture um, and it was really fun and it was all like internet based and uh, you know it was great it was really good interesting and then nine eleven happened and everything went to shit <laughs> basically it's yeah
0: So something that I've asked a few of our guests so far where can people who are listening to this podcast now where can they start their magical practice if they want to where would you recommend starting and growing it?
2: Well I think you need to pick what it is you want to do a little bit I think you need to have some intention before you start doing it it's always good I always think it's good to follow a system start you know when you first start and and just do small stuff I mean each day I mean. Even if you're just doing like a lesser banishing ritual every morning, or you know twice a day, or whatever. I mean, uh, or meditate, you know, twice a day. It starts small and and sort of monitor the effects. Uh, that's the way I uh, started. Anyway, I, I, I start doing small things, keep a record, monitor the. Uh, it's really, I think it's really important, and it's an underplayed thing is to record what you do, and that's something Crowley was very um, insistent upon. You know, keeping a magical diary, keeping a dream diary, that sort of thing. Because it really sharpens you, it makes you more aware of what's happening around you. Um, So, yeah, start small. I mean, a lot of people they just jump in. right, well, I'm going to do the goisha next week, and it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're really not. And if you do, you're an idiot. You know, it's yeah. like you just start small. Like, and to be honest with you, people. I mean, it it, it blew me away actually. The effects of uh, just doing, you know, really basic stuff initially. It does. It affects your surroundings. It affects the. Your perception and your universe around you, um, and and you d- you don't have to be a master magician, you know, to see these kind of crazy effects of what this stuff can do. And I think so. To start small, start doing the LBRP and meditating, and keeping a dream diary and keeping a magical diary, that kind of thing. It's it's it, that in itself can be profoundly powerful.
0: And did you put any stock in any of the online courses? There's all sorts of courses around at the moment that you can do online. Do you think anything like that is useful?
2: It's probably useful to a degree. I mean, I, I think the problem with them is it takes the physical element away. And I think um, one of the things I always appreciated with magic, especially with initiation, I don't see how initiation can work unless you're in the room. I mean, I'm, I could be completely wrong. I'm sure that some people do get some powerful experiences out of it. But there's something about, like I said before, throwing your fate into the hands of strangers, that that it's a powerful physical thing. Um, I just don't see i don't see how that can be replicated online and we talk about this a lot actually um you know my uh, co-host mark and i talk about this all the time you'll notice in the podcast he always brings up initiation because um he knows it's a powerful thing and but it's a powerful thing that you do in person and i think that's that's my worry with it i think from a kind of learning nuts and bolts stuff then yeah sure it could be great online i think you know like learning uh history of things or you know um, maybe even being you know on a video being demonstrated how to do something but i think there's something like genuinely powerful about being in the room with these people or being in the room in a ritual and being in a room um yeah i think that's that would be my take on it i think great for learning stuff great for learning like theoretical stuff and you know technical stuff but i still say nuts and bolts old school you know getting a room with people and do stuff. I think that's still the most powerful because you've got all these, you know, consciousnesses there all blending together and there's, you know, people's input can be slightly different. I don't know. Yeah. It's just something like powerful about being in the room, um, at initiations, especially.
1: It's like making music, isn't it? Or, uh, or like prayer. Yeah. Or therapy. Like they're all things that don't work. If, if they're not.
2: Yeah. If there's not something about being, with people. being in the room. I mean, there's, I've been, um, I've been working through the uh, Gateway experience recently. The... So have I. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah. yeah the whole, um, I'm, I'm obsessed with Robert Monroe. <clears throat> um, we're going to do a City Now episode about him uh, because he's a really fascinating character. I
1: assume you didn't pay £100 per CD and you no, just got, no, no. got them off Reddit like I did. <laughs> I got the flax.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, but also yeah. There, a lot of the, the CDs are on, if you've subscribed to Apple Music, I think maybe Spotify as well. There are A lot of them are on there as well. Right, okay. um so you can listen to a lot of them for free but what i really want to do and apparently the real experience of that is to go to the monroe institute and they have courses where uh they have these pods that you sleep in and they're all like rigged yeah, up for yeah. sound and wow. uh yeah so it's like this real lived physical experience and to me that sounds like like a real adventure and i've kind of been, i'm really up for doing that so I'm uh, gonna we'll
1: have to them. we'll have to discuss that off uh Tom, discuss your progress and stuff off uh, off podcast because I'm I'm interested to know how you do with that because I'm I'm I've not really experienced much from it yet. Oh I, well, I, god, I have. I, I'm only <laughs> I'm only at the very I'm only at the very like I think I've just started on the second so I think I've done like six of them mm-hmm. and then I've just started like the first so like it's uh, focus twelve rather than focus ten, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh so I've not really kind of gone too far into it yet.
2: Ah, but the I think um, this is a good example of what we're talking about earlier. Actually, where to me the gateway experience is 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 a a modern way of doing astral projection. Um, That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. And what a lot of occultists will tell you, like older occultists especially, will tell you is that oh no no no, that's not doing it properly. It's like, but my experience was the exact same effect as doing astral projection so yeah. but a lot faster and a lot more efficiently so it's like you're more kind of crowley centric people so well, no no you've got to do this and this and this and follow this to the letter and blah 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 and you know crowley's method's the only method it's like well no someone else is also coming up with a much better way of doing it in my opinion a much more um yeah practical and <laughs> way of doing it so why would you ignore that and a lot of people do and what's interesting with Monroe, actually cause just to go off on a bit of a tangent is he came at it from a non occult perspective, and there's a very there's an amazing interview of him where he starts off the interview saying, "Oh, you know, I didn't see this as an occult thing or a paranormal thing or whatever, blah blah blah." And by the end of the interview, he's saying, "Well, from doing this, I've seen that there's other realities, and you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know." And it's like, "Well, you're you're talking like an occultist now, you know." It's like so. It's really interesting that <laughs> you know on one side you've got the kind of occultists go well this isn't occultism this is like technology it's sci-fi and then on the, you've got the science side of it go well this isn't the occult this is you know so it's kind of this it's really interesting how these sort of uh they're kind of you know these two things are merging and uh, they don't even realize it
0: <laughs> yeah th- i mean that's one of the things that's really interesting about that gateway thing isn't it is that you can really sort of see the merging of something more materialist and scientific with something more spiritual and Mm occulty, which I think is something that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit is how science seems determined to ignore that sort of thing but in that case the the guy who was doing the report was like actually this is there's some really weird stuff here
2: yeah and I think the thing that's interesting the way I've always looked at it is science is the kind of is is there to explain the external and the occult's there to explain the internal. That's kind of the way I've always seen the the two. Um, and but the irony is that you know the occult is so desperate to be scientific, um, <laughs> but it's it's not. <laughs> no. And you know, and it's usually because people don't understand the scientific method. I mean, Crowley himself says said said that uh, do you know um, he was I can't remember what it was now. Was it Buddhism or some sort of thing where he was. Uh, he he called his investigation of it scientific because he wrote down his findings. It's like, well, that's not science. That's just you write, being thorough about your uh, examination of a thing. That's not science. But they're so desperate for this scientific tag, you know. <laughs> on the end of it, I, it's like it's all to do with validation, isn't it? Really, at the end of the day. But you know, I yeah. think if you if you can get past that, and you can get over it. You, there's a lot of fun to be had as well in, in in these other realms, you know, like Monroe and people like that. I think there's there's all sorts of interesting stuff there. Absolutely.
0: listeners um i was wondering and for us whether you could give us maybe a few recommendations of uh books podcasts online courses films music or anything else that's almost like um an, uh, an occult 101 or a magic 101 that our listeners can really get stuck into a good place to start perhaps
2: wow that's a whole podcast in itself <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just give just, us give us the,
0: the very sort of the, the very is. essential ones
2: um books i'd say if you're interested in magic the, i always recommend modern magic by donald michael craig who we had on and we did a really good interview with him um it's a fantastic book uh, it's uh, i think it's sort of neutral which is what i like about it yeah that's the one uh it's sort of neutral. Um, in the sense that it's not a thelemic book or, you know, it's not steeped in the golden dawn in particular, but it's a great, it deals with the same sorts of rituals and it's just a great primer. And talking of primers, (laughs) David (laughs) Conway's, um, Occult primer is absolutely fantastic as well. They're they're both very good. Um, and then if you're more Crowley centric, um, well, the, the big blue book, book four, um, but that's very dense reading. So what I always say is now is get that, but then also get a book called magic without tears, which kind of explains that book. It's a series of letters between Crowley and his students and him answering questions. Um, So that's very good. Those two books are very good for Crowley. Um, And obviously the book of the law, Um, right? Films. Uh, You definitely want to check out Kenneth Anger and um, kind of the quintessential philemic filmmaker, really. Um, also, like a huge influence on people like uh, Scorsese, like, name checks him as his, his favorite filmmaker, and um, yeah, and then obviously uh, yeah, Alejandro um, um Oh, yeah, yeah, and then more recently, Sparcus. you've got films like A Dark Song, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Some people hated it, but I think it's absolutely everyone I've shown it to just loves it. Um,
0: Greenfield think- recommended that one as well
1: yeah he did
0: so what about podcasts other than uh obviously uh right where you're sitting now or bass um what podcasts would you recommend that people should listen to
2: um there's loads um god yeah, that's put me on the spot let me get my iphone <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> i would actually say room soup room soup has got some really good interviews with it um just keep it at the podcast level <laughs> podcasts and books. I wouldn't go necessarily to into the, um, into the, uh, um, you know, um, the more personal stuff. Uh, astonishing legends is a very good podcast. I uh, yeah. love that podcast a lot. Um, project archivist. I can't not mention them. Um, that's my friend, Rogan's podcast. It's very, very good. The magician in the Fall podcast is Very good. Uh, live from the chapel. Perilous can be very good at times. um, living Lima is david shoemaker's podcast uh and it's basically him going through um kind of he starts off with like the real basics so like uh lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram we'll do a whole episode on that It will go through he'll even perform the ritual uh and he'll talk you through all of what, what it means and it's a great it's an absolutely fantastic podcast shoemaker's a legend i love him i think he's um a great example of uh you know, how a thalamite can be a good person <laughs> as well. He's a clinical psychologist as well. He's a very Jungian kind of guy. Um,
0: I'll link to the um, the sitting now that he was on as well, because I really enjoyed that one.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed that. He's great. We're going to have to have him back on, actually. Um, fictionally, uh, I think there's a lot of good fiction podcasts that roll a lot of occult stuff in. So there's one called Tanis. I don't know if you've ever seen
1: t- I've heard of that. That rings a bell.
2: Yeah, it's basically... It's, um, You'd love it if you like Hellier and things like that. You'll, you'll love Tanis. Tanis is absolutely fantastic. It's written by I can't remember the name's Nick something. The name of the guy, but we see the character because he plays the character in the podcast. But and that that was actually spun off of another podcast called The Black Tapes that were absolutely fantastic as well. Nice. Um, yeah.
1: Again, I've, I, I think I've heard of that. Is it? Is it a kind of found footagey sort of mock-up almost?
2: It's like it's a bit like the H.P. Lovecraft podcast where it's like a fake yeah. podcast type thing right. you know, they're investigating the black tapes they're investigating these uh this collection of tapes that each have unexplained unexplainable paranormal mysteries and it sort of weaves into reality a, a story into kind of real paranormal kind of you know stuff whereas the same way the lovecraft thing weaves kind of um you know uh yeah lovecraft everything stories into, into everything it's like uh
1: stuff. it's like uh it reminded me of i think i said it, it reminded me of the uh mark frost's um uh, secret History of Twin Peaks and that it just kind of, you know, Frost kind of brought together all these different elements from kind of occult, ufology, conspiracy into sort of a, a unified sort of thing based around Twin yeah. Peaks. And yeah. it's it's almost like that with Lovecraft, isn't it? It's like, oh, let's let's bring in the, you know, number stations or the Rendlesham Forest incident.
2: Well, it's the same with it... Tannis as well. Tannis is very yeah. much like that, where it weaves that oh, kind man. of stuff in. Um, so if you enjoyed... If you enjoyed that Lovecraft thing you'll definitely enjoy yeah. Tannis. It's it absolutely- sounds like a
0: bit like did you ever listen to Limetown?
1: Was that oh, that really yeah. fucked up one that you sent me with the pig? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it is <laughs> yeah. it's, it's good but it's really fucked up.
0: Yeah. But yeah. But that oh, has yeah. a similar thing, you know, the, the 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 concept I think is that someone's investigating like a journalist. It starts out almost like it could be serial or something like that. And then it slowly becomes more and more messed up, like Buckley was saying. And there's some quite disturbing bits in that, but it's really it, good. And it has that strange, almost like conspiracy-ish cult edge, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's in that world very much. Did, um, I just remembered a TV show as well. That, that I wondered if you watched, did you watch Archive 81? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't listen to I, the podcast, but I, I, I um, a couple of my yeah. friends' work on that. You know the yeah. your um, guys, um, the guys that did The Endless, Directly yeah, yeah, those, didn't
1: they, they yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, I wasn't mega. Care- I, I liked it at first, but I didn't really like how it ended. I thought it kind of,
2: yeah, the end was it, the just worst it bit.
1: petered out a bit. Sort of like <laughs> it started out with a really good premise. The premise was almost a bit like House of Leaves or something like that. It had that like kind of the, the sort of unreliable narrator slash with all the different like levels of it and like it, it, and the, the, the kind of uh, the idea of it being like different forms of media. And stuff like that. It was all like a really good premise, but then I just thought by the end it was just like,
2: yeah, it's, it's a bit like Twin of... Peaks, like they, when they were forced to reveal who Laura Palmer's killer was, like yeah, yeah, And destroyed yeah. series two. Of, of Although
0: I will stand by the lull in series two of Twin Peaks because I just love hanging out with those characters when they're doing nothing.
1: Do <laughs> uh, you know one of my one of my most popular tweets of of the past? I'd say twelve months at least was me simply saying. Something along the lines of um, "Civil War," Ben Horn is the hill I'll die on. Because "Civil War," "Civil War," Ben Horn was a great plot. Like that was that was really fun. That was really fun. But like the, most of the rest of it was trash. I, I it was enjoyed bits.
0: Though. Major Briggs disappearing yeah, Major fishing Briggs is always and a good coming bit. Back. Yeah,
1: and I did. I did quite enjoy Nadine being really strong. <laughs> I
0: loved all that uh, story with Mike.
1: That yeah, was
0: brilliant.
2: but I,
1: I just hated like the, the Windermere was terrible.
2: Oh, I love Wendermale. I had a band called (laughs) Wendermale. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I just couldn't stand him. You could say Twin Peaks is a very good, um, uh, especially Series 3, I think. The return is
1: like, oh, God. If you know what you're looking
2: for in Series 3, there's a lot of stuff in there, occult stuff, hidden stuff in that. Um, Yeah, uh, Series 3 is, I think, I mean, David Lynch is my favourite filmmaker. He's the reason I became a filmmaker. And um, Yeah. yeah, and that series is just, Wow, I used to love getting up each week and watching that first thing in the morning. Because it, obviously it'd be on the night before in in America, and then I'd wake up. I think it was on the Sunday night, wasn't it, in America? And I'd wake up every Monday and watch Twin Peaks. I was like, "This is yeah, happening! Yeah, we used I to believe this is happening.
1: We had like a uh, a WhatsApp group, didn't we? Yeah, that we we. Uh, we discussed it with every week, and it was just like, "What the fuck!" <laughs> like it was just, it was just great. Like the, some of the stuff in it is like I've, I rewatched it recently, so it's like my second time. I've seen the rest of Twin Peaks about ten times. Uh, Firework with me, maybe six times, but the return I've only watched twice, and the second time was like at the last year, end of last year. But have and you it was watched just, the
2: Blue Rose cut of Firework with me?
1: I haven't. No, I'd like to because that's got all of the.
2: Yeah, most of the stuff from the missing pieces, in it, and yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's done really well. It's surprising. I've, se-
1: I've I've seen the missing pieces bits in isolation, but not the, uh, not the, um, not in with the film. But yeah, rewatching the return, like I enjoyed it so much more the second time round. Although it wasn't as shocking and surprising, it, it, I knew what to expect, but I could just I wasn't waiting for. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but I wasn't waiting for a certain thing to happen. I was able to enjoy the speed of it and just enjoy the character before the character became something different. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm I'm about to go in for my second watch on The Return. But yeah, I, I think that part of, I almost felt like anxious watching it the first time because I wanted it to be like the first two series. Yeah. And it was very, very clearly all the way through something very, very different. But now looking back on it it's probably the best television that I've ever seen
1: yeah Yeah, it is incredible it is it is more than uh, it it, it's just it's like on a whole different level it's like the rest of TV needs to catch up
2: yeah Yeah, I remember watching it it thinking I can't believe this is on television especially episode 8 episode Episode 8 fuck me (laughs) yeah Yeah. who let that on TV (laughs) yeah it's a bit like um, Nicholas Winding Refn who's my kind of favourite contemporary director I'd say Um, yeah he his series is a just mind-blowingly good as well I've, I and i just love everything he does but a lot of people find him, him style over substance but I've, i think if you know again if you know what you're looking for there is definitely substance there as well um but also they just look great i mean just, yeah just turn the volume off and just watch them as pieces of art they're just absolutely fantastic but um yeah yeah no there's there's so many it, there's also kind of occult stuff creeping in at the moment uh, which is interesting so we'll see i think it'll probably uh Give it up this current generation that are on TikTok at the moment and, you know, doing their thing. And that, surely that will filter into film in like five, 10 years as well. And that'd be really interesting, I think. But uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: I started watching Copenhagen Cowboy. I watched two episodes now. It does look amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's like every shot is like a beautiful, like painting. And you just like, whoa. And it gets yeah.
2: more and more, the story really. It's really it's, disturbing. It's yeah really it gets silly. weirder and weirder as
3: well
2: yeah <laughs> yeah it's fantastic
1: sorry back to the podcast it's just it's just kind of descended into a nerd chat isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like
2: all conversations with me are like sadly yeah well same here yeah
1: we we have that exact problem it's just like it's just like you because it, it's so hard isn't it like i don't know if you have this problem but me and Hyde have discussed this a lot when you have to go to like social events with normal people and people are like it's like what do you talk about with people because they don't they exist on a completely different like plane and and what i tend to do is i find like one person who i think might like be open (laughs) to some idea (laughs) yeah and then i just like completely fixate on them you know like christmas day sort of as my partner's Cousin's house, we went there after dinner, like and after a few wines, and like her husband was there and straight in just like right he's my only he's the only he's my only option here the mm-hmm. the, the women are talking about family things I'm gonna have to go straight into him like <laughs> so the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis you know and, like uh,
2: t- oh, I have that sometimes it's i guess again that's you know going back to the ATO, that's another good thing about um you get this sort of friend group from it and i still hang out with most of them so we're all into the same weird shit um yeah. it's just kind of useful so like you know um yeah I, I, the last few social things i've been to plus my luckily i've been with my partner for 17 years and she's kind of interested in it all as well so um that really helps <laughs>
0: So just to wrap up then, Ken, um, where can people find you on the internet and and what's coming up for you and your podcast?
2: Um, So the best way to find us is sittingnow.co.uk, which is the kind of repository for all this stuff that we do. Um, Also on YouTube and Instagram and everywhere else we're we're sitting now. Um, But what we've got coming up, I've been, I spent the last few weeks filming um i've been i kept basically we're we're moving into making youtube content as well basically and i've spent spent the last year kind of doing it and then trashing what i've done because i just didn't think it was good enough and i've kind of figured out i kind of couldn't figure out how to present it what i wanted to do so i I spent the last year kind of experimenting essentially and now i figured out exactly how i want to do it and um because i feel that there's this real gap you know there's this real um if you look at kind of occult content especially online on youtube it's it's just not very good (laughs) a lot of it it's like yeah i I think stuff like helia is good because at least it's kind of well put together kind of thing and um
0: yeah it looks great i I mean helia looks almost like something you'd see on hbo or something
2: yeah yeah um yeah and it's 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 yeah I think that's the future of it, and I think a lot of, you know there's some great occult content on youtube but it's such the production value is so bad, it's almost unwatchable, so I think my philosophy is going forward that we want to kind of just make really high quality stuff, you know or try and make it high quality but then also kind of create youtubey kind of content as well that's just not bad <laughs> that's kind of our, i know that makes us it sound it's not meant to sound as arrogant as it sounds it's just because there's such a load of i mean there's some big creators you know in the occult sphere that just you know really don't care about production value and that really drives me mad <laughs> um, so yeah we're doing that's that. that's a filmmaker you wanna, in you talking <laughs> if you want to follow me personally i mean my film stuff's that Vimeo.com forward slash hangmanfilms, um, hanged man Films I should say, and then hangedmanfilms.com. Um, and then what else? Uh, oh, yeah, and, and Kennykins on Instagram. <laughs> that's pretty much me.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks very much. And uh, if you want to follow us, Vase, um, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram, and that's at Vase and then Vase spelt backwards. So that's at V-A-Y-S-E-E-S-Y-A-V. There's our website, www.vase.co.uk. I wanted to mention that again this week because I think that some of the other platforms that you can get the podcast from actually truncate the show notes, which really annoys me. So if you go to our website, you can get the full show notes to each show. Um, And if you want to email us, you can email us at vaseinfo at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you and I go on about it every week, but the Band Camp, go to the Band Camp. If you like the music from the podcast, you can download it there and any money that we make from um any money well, it's actually Buckley whose music it is, so any money that Buckley makes, he puts into the podcast. Um so that is how we keep this thing running.
1: Yeah, to be honest, you should probably download that even if you don't like the music.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just like if you for, if you like the content, if you like
1: the, the words that we speak, but you don't like the music, then still download it that you don't even have to download it just buy it and keep it you know you don't have to download it you can just pay for it and then not actually listen to it not own it and, and
0: you can keep it secret
1: you can keep it secret you can give it to an enemy and you can know in your heart that you have helped fund this midlife crisis
0: <laughs> well thanks very much kate it's been really really yeah, interesting you. conversation uh, this is just the sort of thing that i love to talk about and you've really informed us on some really interesting topics there and the show notes to this episode are going to be massive
1: (laughs) um right so i have ken one more question for you before Mm we wrap up um so it's a nice sunny day in brighton you wake up in the morning approximately 8 a.m maybe and you're just having a cup of coffee or tea whatever you prefer and there's a knock at your door you, op- you open your door and there he is, Alistair Crowley. He's knocked on your door. He's turned up on your doorstep. <laughs> what You've got a day. You've got a day with him. He explains, listen, Ken, you've got a day with me to entertain me, show me the sights. You can do whatever, whatever you want. What would you do for, for a day? A day with Big Al Crowley
2: take him down the pier probably you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know they nice could party. enjoy that it's kind of his era isn't it like, <laughs> yeah exactly make him feel at home yeah, yeah
0: get him a twitter account i'd love to see him on twitter
2: oh, i can imagine yeah he'd love that he'd love twitter i always said one question i always think about is what would a modern day alistair crowley be you know like it almost seems impossible for there to be a new alistair crowley doesn't yeah yeah um, and it's like, and there's been so, certain people that have come afterwards. You could argue people like Genesis Peoridge, maybe, but he wasn't really necessarily a major occultist. He was more of not a influential, really. Yeah. And, uh, but there's not been anyone, has there, really? I mean, I mean it, Grant would, Morrison would he,
0: had his moments, didn't he?
2: Yeah. But he wasn't really, you know, he's more known for comics, isn't he, than for yeah. the occult kind of thing. And, uh huh. My screen just died for some reason.
1: Uh, well, I, I know Heinz, Heinz keeps glitching. He keeps that going. It looks really freaky. No, I'm just doing that, it's just something I'm doing. Right. for a picture with us and like he made us like kneel on the ground so he was sat on his chair and he made everyone who was getting the picture taken actually like kneel so that they weren't taller than him or something and like we, we like the things that like, we said to him it was like he's just on a completely different level he's just like very but you don't know how much of that is an act and he yeah. just and even looking at him like there's something about him there's like he looks like he's Real that he
2: just seems had a big beard with to... head. Really, no, you know
1: no, he was he was uh Pink-shaped. Oh no actually. No I think he did have a beard, come to think of it.